Welcome back. Today I'm going to teach you the hidden secrets that are found in the blood of Jesus. I want somebody to type in the chat with me right now. There is power in the blood. You know that old song, there is power, power, wonder working power in the blood of Jesus. There's life in the blood. There's power in the blood. There are hidden secrets that are in the blood of Jesus that if you have revelation knowledge on what the Bible says pertaining to the blood, your life will never be the same. Make sure you give this video a thumbs up, share it with somebody. Today you're going to learn something you've never learned before. I love talking about the blood. You know, I was listening to a great man of God the other day. I, re I re wish I could remember who it was. But they were telling this testimony of when they were in a third world nation and they were basically there to plant churches and to preach the gospel. And they were going through a deliverance with a young woman, I believe it was. And this young woman began to manifest a demon. And as she began to manifest this demon, this demon spoke perfect English through this woman who had never even heard the English language before. She didn't know English, but this evil spirit spoke perfect language out of this woman. And the demon began to curse the father. He began to curse the son and he began to curse the Holy Spirit, which is nothing new. I mean, if you've ever seen a demon manifest, that's what demons do. They curse the father, they curse the son, they curse the Holy Spirit, they curse the Holy Trinity. But the next thing that this demon cursed shocked this missionary. He said the demon cursed the blood of Jesus. And he didn't know why. He was like, why? Why would he, why would this demon, I know why he'd curse the father. I know why he'd curse the son. I know even why he'd curse the spirit. But why would he curse the blood of Jesus? And then the Holy Ghost spoke to this missionary. And he said, because the blood is alive. The blood of Jesus is not dead blood. Jesus' blood is alive. And it's sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. And it cries out justification, sanctification, redemption. The blood of Jesus is speaking on the altar in heaven. There is power in the blood. The blood of Jesus even makes demons curse. When you plead the blood, when you talk about the blood, when you preach about the blood, when you sing about the blood, when you speak about the blood, the blood of Jesus makes demons tremble. And I want you to know that the blood of Jesus is working in your life today. Somebody type in the chat, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Let me say good morning to James and Heather. Good morning to John and Amber. Good morning to all our faithful people. Denise, God bless you, Denise. I'm very happy to have you all on today. 1 Peter chapter 1. I love the Bible. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 18. You must know, this is the Amplified. I'm going to read the Amplified Bible to you. 1 Peter 1.18 You must know, recognize that you were redeemed or ransomed from the useless, fruitless way of living inherited by the tradition from your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold. So you were bought 
There was a price paid for you, but the price was not silver. The price was not gold. The price was not corruptible things that was paid for you. Verse 19, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. I want you to realize today, you were not purchased with uncorruptible or with corruptible seed, but instead with incorruptible seed, meaning that the purchase can't be erased. The purchase has happened. You have value. Someone once said, how do you determine the value of an object? By the price that's paid for it. The price paid for you is the highest price that's ever been paid. The very blood of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So I want to read it to you again. You must know that you were redeemed or ransomed from the useless way of living, inherited by the traditions of your forefathers, and you were not purchased with corruptible things such as silver and gold. But you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb, without blemish or spot. The Bible says, My people destroy themselves due to a lack of knowledge. In the Hebrew, that word destroy means they cease or they're cut off. It means that they stop growing from the point with which they're at due to a lack of knowledge. So when you lack knowledge of what the blood of Jesus has done for you, what the blood of Jesus being shed for you has accomplished, if you lack knowledge in that area, then you will lack growth in your Christian life. But on the contrary, the more revelation knowledge that you have, about the blood of Jesus and the price paid for you, how you've been adopted, you've received the spirit of adoption into the family of God, that there is now a man in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, Jesus Christ being the mediator, a man in the Godhead who shed his blood for us, raised us up together with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places. Did you know that there's a man seated in the Godhead? The Bible says God is spirit. He is that spirit. So if God is spirit, the Holy Ghost is the spirit of God. Jesus is a man full, born of, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember, when he came, he rose. When he rose again from the dead, he allowed Philip to touch him when he doubted. Or a Thomas, not Philip, I apologize. When Doubting Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, which is funny. But when he's still called Doubting Thomas today. It's been like over 2,000 years. He's still Doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubter. Amen. Because 2,000 years from now, people will still call you Doubting whatever your name is. You don't want to be a doubter. Someone type in the chat, I'm not a doubter. Thomas was able to touch Jesus, which means he didn't rise in spirit form. Originally he did, but he went to his father to take the blood up to heaven. And when he returned, they could touch him. He ate with them. He spent time with them for 40 days. There is a man in the Godhead. And you're seated with him. Now go with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 verse 25. 
I'll start in verse 24. All are justified and made upright and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously by his grace, his unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus. So what did Jesus do when he shed his blood for you? It says that he justified you. He made you upright. You are now in right standing with God. He freely, gratuitously, by his grace and unmerited favor and mercy, through redemption, provided a relationship between you and God the Father. Verse 25, whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith in that blood. Somebody type in the chat, I have faith in the blood. There's a few things that the Bible says you must have faith in. You must have faith in God's word. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. You must have faith in the word. You must have faith in the name of Jesus. You must have faith in the Holy Ghost. You must have faith in the blood. Faith begins... Where the will of God is known. You must have revelation knowledge of God's will and what he accomplished by shedding the blood of Jesus. So let's read it again. This is amplified Romans 3.25. Whom God put forward before the eyes of all. Another part of the New Testament says God put open or he put to shame openly the powers of hell. Satan all principalities, all powers, all might and dominions, Jesus put them to open shame when he was crucified on that cross for you, when he conquered death, hell, and the grave. So whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood. This is what you need to know about the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where the blood of Jesus is applied. The mercy seat is where the blood of Jesus is applied. In the Old Testament, it was the meeting place between God and man. So anywhere that the blood of Jesus is applied becomes the meeting place for God and man. The blood of Jesus has been applied on the mercy seat. My pastor has a song that says, The blood is speaking on the altar in heaven, saying I'm free and my sins are forgiven. Now I have a life that is worth living. The blood is speaking. It's on the altar in heaven. It is saying. It's speaking. The blood is alive. Remember in the Old Testament, when Cain killed Abel, what did God say to Cain? Your, blood, your brother's blood is crying out to me for justice. The life is found in the blood. This is powerful. Let's keep reading. 325. Whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood, the cleansing, I want you to write this down. What comes with the blood of Jesus? Number one. 
mercy. When you plead the blood, mercy and goodness follow you all the days of your life. The mercy seat and propitiation by his blood. Number one, the cleansing. Number two, the life-giving sacrifice. Number three, of atonement. And number four, of reconciliation. To be received. What did the blood of Jesus do for you? Number one, it provided God's mercy for you. When you plead the blood of Jesus over your past, over your life, over your family, over your finances, over your mind, over your eyes, over your ears, over the patterns of your mind. When you plead the blood, there is mercy, there is cleansing, and there is a life-giving sacrifice. The blood of Jesus cleanses you, and it gives you life. Somebody type in the chat, the blood of Jesus gives me life. But look here, cleansing, life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation. So you've been atoned. The, 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 your sins have not just been atoned, meaning covered in the Old Testament, but they've been totally reconciled. Propitiation, justification, ransomed, meaning that they've been so far removed it's as if you had never done anything wrong in the first place. When God looks at you, He looks at you the same way He looks at Jesus. As a begotten Son. The Bible says Jesus was the firstborn, the archetype, the prototype, the firstborn of the dead. It says He became sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never sinned, but he took our sin. And he took sin to the grave and he left it there. And he rose again when we were justified. Not when he was justified. Jesus rose again after three days. When we were counted as righteous in the eyes of God. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're no longer a dirty sinner, a worm in the dirt, a sinner saved by grace, but the blood of Jesus is on the mercy seat, speaking for you. It says it speaks a better word. Praise the Lord. Reconciliation to be received through faith. You must have faith in the blood. How does faith come? Well, faith begins where the will of God is known. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So when you begin to hear somebody teach and preach on the power that is in the blood of Jesus. How the blood of Jesus has washed you clean. How the blood of Jesus is speaking a better thing for you. How the blood of Jesus has cleansed you and brought life to you through a living sacrifice. It puts faith in your spirit to receive all that the blood of Jesus has paid for. Pastor Mark Hankin says it this way, you've entered into the bloodline of a champion. 
2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be unto God who causes us always to triumph in Christ Jesus. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is the victor, the heavyweight champion of the world. He knocked the devil out. He conquered every principality, every power, every might, every dominion, every name in this age and the age to come. And you're seated with him. The blood of Jesus has made you a heavyweight. Somebody type in the chat, I'm a heavyweight. It's made you a heavyweight. Through faith in that blood. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. It was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous he or him who has true faith in Jesus. God accepts you as righteous when you have faith in Jesus. You are now adopted into the bloodline of a champion. Now go with me to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out and cancels your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I want you to type in the chat, God does not remember my sins. If God doesn't remember your sins, why do you remember your sins? Why do you let your ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend remember your sins? Why do you let your family remember your sins? If God doesn't remember your old sins, you don't need to remember your old sins. He's blotted out your sins and your transgressions. Verse 26, this is what I want you to get today. Put me in remembrance. Remind me of your merits. Let us plead and argue together. Set forth your case that you may be justified or proven right. Verse 26, Isaiah 43, 26. Listen to what God says here. Remember, God is your father, but God is also a judge. God thinks like a judge. So you must act like a lawyer with the Holy Ghost as your advocate. Pastor Hankin says he's never lost a case. If you'll listen to your advocate, he's never lost a case. Put me in remembrance. Remind me of your merits. Let us plead and argue together. Set forth your case that you may be justified. Or proven right. Let us plead and argue together. Set forth your case that you may be justified. This is why we plead the blood. The term plead the blood simply means I rest my case on the blood of Jesus. I rest my case on the blood of Jesus. I rest my financial case on the blood of Jesus. I rest my life on the blood of Jesus. I rest my past on the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has wiped away all former transgressions. It has made me born again, alive in Christ, a new creation. It has given me the mind of Christ. It gives me life in my spirit, man. 
and it is speaking on my behalf on the mercy seat in the altar in heaven. I plead the blood. So you got to wake up every day and say, I plead the blood over my mind. I plead the blood over my life. I plead the blood over my family. I plead the blood over my travels. I plead the blood over my health. I plead the blood over my business. I plead the blood over every word that leaves my mouth today. I plead the blood. I rest my case on the blood of Jesus. What it has done, what it is doing, and what it will continue to do in my life. It's alive. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The blood of Jesus is speaking on behalf of you. The same way Abel's blood cried out for justice, the blood of Jesus cries out for justice for you on the mercy seat. And it gives you grace to enter the throne room boldly, the Bible says. Hebrews 9.12, I believe it is. That he entered in once and for all with his own blood. Not the blood of goats and calves. And when Jesus entered into that holy place with his own blood, he made room for us to come into the presence of God boldly and say, I plead the blood. Somebody type in the chat, I plead the blood. I rest my case on the blood. I thank Jesus for his blood. And I'll share this with you real quick before I pray for you. In the Old Testament, when the high priest would sprinkle the blood of goats and calves for the atonement, he would sprinkle the blood seven times. And in the New Testament, remember, the only way that the sacrifice in the Old Testament could be legit is if it was sacrificed by the high priest. The high priest had to be the one that brought the sacrifice. You would bring your sacrifice to the high priest. The high priest had to bring the sacrifice before God. Well, if you study in the New Testament, who shouted out to Pontius Pilate that Jesus should be crucified? It was the high priest. That's why the Bible calls him the lamb that was slain. The only way for God's people to be justified was for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be brought forth by the high priest. And it was the high priest that killed, sacrificed, I can't say killed, sacrificed Jesus. He gave his life willingly. Jesus was not murdered. Jesus gave his life willingly. He was sacrificed. And when Jesus bled, it says he bled seven times to prove the ritual true. Number one, Jesus bled when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that he sweat blood. Number two, it says that when they pulled out his beard, he bled from his beard. When they punched him and beat him. Number three, they whipped him with 39 lashings. And he bled and took those stripes so that you may be healed. Number four, they put on him a crown of thorns. And he bled from his brow again. Number five, when they took him to the cross, they put his hands on the cross and he bled from his hands. Number six, 
He bled from his feet when they nailed his feet to the bottom of the cross. And finally, number seven, it says that when he died, they shoved a spear through him and out came blood and water for the seventh time that he would bleed. And there was a man by the name of Ron Wyatt that went and discovered the Ark of the Covenant. They hadn't been able to find the Ark of the Covenant since it was hidden in the Old Testament hundreds of years before. On the Ark of the Covenant, on the very top of it, it held the presence of God and the tablets given to Moses with the Ten Commandments on it. On the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat made out of pure gold. And it says that when they stabbed that spear through Jesus, the earth shook and quaked. And there was such a massive earthquake that it split the ground where the cross was. And it says that Jesus' blood and the water that came out of him went down the cross and Ron Wyatt found the Ark of the Covenant. In that same blood, it was actually right below Mount Calvary where the earth was split. And the blood of Jesus launched down that crack and actually dripped onto the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I've never seen this, but this is just what he said. And it aligns with the Word of God. And now the Bible says there's three things that agree. The Spirit, the blood, and the Word. And the water, I'm sorry. There's four things that agree. The Spirit agrees, the Word agrees, the blood agrees, and the water agrees. The blood is alive. And Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that he was the lamb slain for our sins. By his stripes, we were healed and we are healed. And he redeemed us from all the curse of the law. Giving us and making available to us the blessing of Abraham. And he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When you know the hidden secrets that are found in the blood of Jesus, the will of God, or the faith begins where the will of God is known. Have faith in the blood. That blood covenant is the strongest covenant you'll ever come across. You're in covenant with God, and God is in covenant with you by the blood of Jesus. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. It says the blood of Jesus cleanses you and gives you life and brings you back into fellowship with God. It has now given you boldness to enter into the presence of God and to approach His throne in times of need where you can ask for grace. In Jesus' name, the blood is speaking on the altar in heaven for you. I thank God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Well, one thing that the blood of Jesus that I'm very thankful for that's done for us is go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm going to finish with this and then I'm going to pray for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a supernatural secret that occurred when Jesus shed his blood for you.
I almost just want to read the whole chapter. Let's see where we want to start. I'm not going to read the Amplified. It adds too much. Let me go to the ESV. Second Corinthians 8. I'll read the ESV, and then I'll read you the, the Amplified. Second Corinthians 8, starting in verse 9, talking about what Jesus did for you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus took poverty for you so that you could receive riches and wealth. This is something not many people will talk about, but we talk about it. God does not intend for you to be poor. Poverty is a part of the curse. There was no poverty in the Garden of Eden. There's no poverty in heaven. There is not meant to be poverty in the life of a Christian. Christians should not be poor. Christians should not be barely scraping by. Christians should live by the word of God. Somebody type in the chat, poverty is not my portion. The Amplified says this, For you are becoming progressively acquainted with and recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His kindness, His gracious generosity, His undeserved favor and spiritual blessing, in that though He was so very rich, yet for your sakes He became so very poor, in order that by His poverty you might become enriched and abundantly supplied. So when did Jesus take poverty? He took it on the cross. When sin entered the world, the manifestation of it was death, the law of sin and death, sickness, disease, and poverty. The curse that came into the world through sin brought death, sickness, disease, and poverty. Jesus took upon himself and destroyed the law of sin and death and took your poverty that you might become rich. So poverty is not my portion. I receive wealth and riches. Now I'll read one more to you and then I'm going to pray for you. I know I've said that a couple times, but I just want to, if I don't give you the whole picture, then I don't do my job. Psalm 112. Psalm 112, starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Verse 3, Psalm 112, verse 3. Wealth and riches are in his house. Wealth and riches are in his house. I am the generation of the upright. I am a righteous man. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Therefore, I plead the blood of Jesus and I present my case to God Wealth and riches are in my house. As a righteous man in Christ, you can plead the blood and say wealth and riches 
are in my house. Somebody type that in the chat, then I'm going to pray for you. Wealth and riches are meant to be in the house of the righteous. Not sickness and poverty and lack. Wealth and riches. And his righteousness endures forever. So I plead the blood. I rest my financial case on the blood of Jesus. Wealth and riches are in my house. And I prophesy that this year, 2023, will be your best financial year that you've ever had in Jesus' mighty name. Wake up every day and say, I plead the blood. I rest my financial case on the blood of Christ. By his poverty, I've become rich. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Therefore, wealth and riches are in my house. I don't go backwards. I only go forward. I do not decrease. I only increase. I am a tree planted by rivers of living water. I bear fruit in every season. My leaf does not wither and all that I do prospers. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. Blessed in the country, blessed in the city. Everything I put my hand to is blessed. And the windows of heaven are open over my life. God rebukes the devourer for my sake. I cannot decrease. I can only increase in Jesus' mighty name. Plead the blood. I rest my case on that. Amen and amen. Let me pray for you. Before I pray for you, I want to give you an opportunity to sow some financial seed today. Sow some seed today. I believe God's going to speak to 100 people this year to sow at least $1,000 into this ministry and to join us in our vision to reach this generation with the gospel. If that's you, I strongly encourage you, be one of the 100 that sow a $1,000 seed into this ministry. If you don't know already, we're currently feeding 2,000 kids each and every single month in other nations. This is a handwritten letter by them saying, Talon, thank you for over 20,000 meals that you've provided these last two years. You're making a difference through, a nation, or, uh, through an organization called Feed the Hungry. So thank you for partnering with us financially to help us do that. And we also have about a dozen other ministries that we partner with on a regular basis to get the gospel out. So I encourage you, as you're stirred up in faith right now, sow a seed into this ministry to help us reach this generation. We're very thankful for your giving. We're very thankful for every partner that has chosen to connect themselves to this ministry. And your reward will be great. And not just in heaven, but in this life as well. In Jesus' name. The different ways that you can give are on your screen. You can give through Cash App at dollar sign Revival Way. You can also give through Venmo at Revival Way. You can also give through PayPal at Revival Way. Or you can give through our website, RevivalWay.com. You can click Partner Financially today. There's a link in the chat for you right now. And you can give through Super Chat on YouTube. I encourage you to give the biggest seed you've ever given and watch what God will do for you. Over and above living is produced by over and above giving. So as you choose to partner with us today, I believe the windows of heaven are being opened over your life. The word of God is coming to pass for you. Angels and ministering spirits are working on your behalf now, and they're bringing in your harvest. I'll give people just a moment to give, and then I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to join my faith with you. 
I have a feeling somebody's going to listen to me. And feel led to give $5,000. I encourage you to do it. I don't say this all the time, but I, I just feel that there's someone that God's speaking to to sow $5,000. If that's you, I strongly encourage you to do it. You know, I just sowed my first five. I've, I've sown much more than that. We've sown over $20,000 already uh, this year into other ministries. And we're only getting started. My goal is to sow over $120,000 this year into other ministries. And we will do it by the grace of God. But we just sowed another $5,000 seed the other day. And there's nothing that brings a blessing quite like when you sow big seed. The Bible says God loves, he cannot do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in their giving. So as you give big seed, expect big harvest. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice right now. As they give, I join my faith with them. Whatever they're believing for, according to your word, let it be done unto them. Thank you for supernatural increase. Angels, ministering spirits, go cause the word to work and cause our harvest to come in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. And Amen. I thank God for it. Well, I love you. I bless you. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow morning at 11.30 a.m. It'll bless you. If you've had a desire to be raised up for the ministry, we're going to play a video for you right now where you can attend a great Bible school that will light you on fire and train you properly to reach this generation with the gospel. You can watch that right now, and I'll see you tomorrow morning. Adios. Jonathan Shuttlesworth with you in Pittsburgh.